Welcome to Tea Time with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm a former bikini fitness model turned self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of, I always almost say Tea Time with Mary, but we are now Mary's cup of tea in case you're searching for the podcast. But Today, I am here with my dear friend, Julia, and you just told me how to pronounce your last name, and it slipped my mind. Parzik. Parzik. Okay, it's not that hard. I'm just an idiot. Hey, <laughs> um, Julia, what's good? I am doing wonderful. Um, managing during quarantine. Some days better than others, but yeah, overall good and excited to be here. Well, we're, we're recording on Zoom, and I love your vibe today so much. Got blue eyeshadow going on. So so cool. Yeah. Sometimes you get bored during quarantine. So you do a full face of makeup. Well, you just caught me literally one hour after I cut my own bangs. So and they look fabulous though. Thank you. Thanks girl. My hairdresser, I texted her. I was like, Hey, so can you talk me out of this? And she's like, no, I'll FaceTime you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. She walked me through everything. Um, awesome. but we digress. I wanted to read your Instagram bio because I think it is so cute. Not to mention your little highlight story covers are amazing. But you're an eating disorder recovery coach. You're a kitchen dancing queen. Your dance videos give me life. And you also have a podcast called Not Your Normal Woman. And I, I just love everything that you are about. You are a light on social media. And I had the blessing of meeting you in person, which was so fun. We went out in Denver. Um, and I just like wish we were closer to each other so we can hang out all the time. I know. Oh my God. I feel like you, you me and Jesse would hang out all the time if you lived here. But yeah. We'd kill it. We'd kill it. But virtual friendships are still just as good. Um, thank you so much. And the only thing we can have right now. Anyway, I know, I know. So it doesn't even make a difference. Yeah, but it's the thought, you know, like it's just like the thought that you're like farther. But um, I wanted to talk today about recovery and relationships because you and I kind of talked via voice message, and we're talking about we're both in new-ish relationships. Like you said, six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been together for a year, and with this whole quarantine thing going on, and then I feel like simultaneously, I also get a lot of questions like how do I talk to my partner about my body image struggles? Or how do I talk to my partner about recovery? Or my partner's doing shit that's triggering as fuck, but I don't want to come across as, you know, like a crazy psycho sensitive person, right? Yeah. Um, So I get a lot of those questions anyways, but I feel like now that whole conversation is so amplified. And Babe and I just had our first quarantine fight. It wasn't like a big fight, but it was definitely like where we spent a couple hours not talking to each other. Um, (laughs) And I feel like it's an accomplishment though, because we made it like four weeks without fighting at all. And then the other day, yeah, (laughs) the other day, let me tell you this story. So I made a smoothie and then I didn't drink it. And he got mad at me. He said, you're wasting food. I know. (laughs) It's so funny. Like people are being triggered by like really small things. Seriously. Yeah. And I'm usually like huge on food waste because like my parents came from the Soviet, the former Soviet Union and all that stuff. But this time, the funny thing is I asked him if he wanted a smoothie and I made it for him. And then he was the one that changed his mind. Anyways, that's just Mm. my side of the story. (laughs) (laughs) That is my side of the story. Your boyfriend's name is Carl, right? Carl with a K. Carl with a K. Tell me how you've met and how that's been going like with your journey and everything? Yeah, it's been so wonderful. Like without a doubt, he is my person. And within like the first 
couple of dates, I was just like, holy crap, this is way different than anything else. I was actually kind of casually dating someone prior to meeting him who was just a fuckboy. And I finally broke it off with him. And I was walking around the park here in Denver. And there are not a lot of black guys in Denver. I'm super attracted to black dudes. It's a very white city. So Carl stuck out. And he was playing basketball by himself. And um, I was like, holy crap, who is that man? And so me and my friend walked by him because I wanted like a closer look. And I also wanted him to like see me. <laughs> so yeah. we like walked by, played on the play place for a little bit. And then like walked by him again. And him and I like locked eyes. And I was like, oh, he's definitely going to come and say something. Because like the ball hit the rim and it was like coming towards me. This asshole didn't. He picked up the ball, turned around and walked away. <laughs> Oh, I was like, I just felt this like strong inkling that I had to give him my number. And I, since I had just broken things off with this guy, I was feeling a little bit too like vulnerable to go up myself and possibly be rejected. I typically would, but it was like two days after breaking it off with this guy. So I made my friend Riley go give him my number. And she walked up and I was like, Hey, my friend thinks you're really cute. I like walked down the way. So I wasn't like some weirdo, like whipping in the background. And, um, Later that day, he texted me and the next night we went um, and got drinks. And then uh, like a month later, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And then a month after that, we said like, I love you. And now I'm moving in this month. So that's awesome. Congratulations. I didn't know you guys met in person. I don't know why, but like this day and age that always surprises me because I feel like like expect people to be like, well, we matched on Tinder. (laughs) Well, the last time I saw you, I was talking about the fuckboy that I was seeing. And so like a couple months later, or maybe even it was that month, um, I ended up meeting Carl and I was like, oh, this is, this is right. Like this feels good. And it was like no games, no nothing. And it, it's just like the first really healthy relationship I've ever been in. And it's so, so damn refreshing. That's so awesome. One thing that I loved and I don't know anything about him. I've never talked to talk to him or you've never talked to me about him. But when we were voice messaging, like just the other night, he was like in it, you know, and you were saying something about like couples are fighting, including us. And he's like, Oh girl, like (laughs) whatever. Yeah. (laughs) In the background. I just love relationships where like, you don't have to be hush hush about stuff. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. In front of you. (laughs) Well, exactly. And he, we just recorded a podcast on his today as well. Talking about just like, we're super triggered by everything lately. And I think that's really normal. And if we like, can't talk to talk to our partner about that, like then there are bigger issues. So Mm, that is so true. Like right now is an opportunity for all of that to come up and you have the time to work through it without brushing stuff under the rug because it is so easy to just be like, okay, well I'm going to go work or Mm -hmm. I want to go to bed. I'm like, well, you got nowhere to be tomorrow. So we're staying up. Yeah. Yeah. Carl and I have made like the commitment to not go like more than 24 hours without saying something that's like bothered us because I hate, I hate feeling resentful and I think resentment like kills relationships. So we made like a vow that like, if something pisses us off, we're going to like bring it up. Yeah. Uh, we need that vow because we're both like very passive aggressive. Mm. <laughs> so can I tell you how we resolve that? smoothie fight yeah I want to know oh my god okay so I go in my room he goes in his room which is funny that I say it like that it's actually our offices offices. but we call it our own rooms so he goes in his office I go in mine and first of all I drank the goddamn smoothie because I just like (laughs) felt guilty about it or whatever 
So I drank the smoothie and I also had wine. That was when I posted the smoothie with the wine. Mm, yeah. It was literally right after. I'm like, God damn it. But anyway, so I'm sitting in my office and at first I was like, I'm just going to cry and I'm going to mope and I'm going to think about all the bad things, right? Because <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. want like, it sets you off. You're like, I'm just going to like push myself deeper into the hole. So I was yeah, like, Yeah, you replay it. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to replay it over and over again and figure out why I'm right and you're wrong. But I was like laying on the floor and listening to sad music too and everything. And then I decided that I always really wanted to make him a video and I was going to make him a video for our one year anniversary, but our one year anniversary was just last month when we were quarantined. So I never had like the time to mm. make the video without him being next to me. Cause we've been like attached this past mm. month. We haven't left each other's sides. And so for our anniversary, like I ended up, we didn't get each other anything. I mean, like he got me flowers or whatever, but I made him this video while I was mad at him. And it was like one of those romantic like videos of all these clips throughout the past year with like this lovey-dovey music and all this stuff. (laughs) So four hours later, I come out of my room and he's like, Hey, I'm going to go on a bike ride. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah. And my video is like exporting. And I'm like, (laughs) hold on a second. Like I need some time. And so I'm like trying to like draw out the time and what is it called? Stall. I'm trying to stall. Finally, I'm like, okay, it's exported. So I'm like, I made you a video. And he's like, oh God. (laughs) It's like you screaming. (laughs) He thought that I made him a video explaining my feelings. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. I went in my room to film a video to tell him how mad at him I am. And I thought it was so telling of our relationship because yeah, I would totally do something like that. But (laughs) (laughs) so he's watching the video. And the first like black screen title slide of it is, I know you're mad at me, but dot, dot, dot. And then the oh. second clip is this one time when we first started dating, I told him that I'm going to film a video of him saying that he loves me. So that way I can play it whenever he's mad at me. And that was the first clip. So anyways, oh. we made up. <laughs> We're all good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. That's like, I mean, sometimes you just like have to cry and listen to sad music and then you just fucking move on because fighting about a smoothie really is that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Made him a video about my feelings. <laughs> I I love that. Honestly, I kind of wish he would have. I almost wish I would have too, because once he said that, I was like, damn it, why didn't he do that? <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Uh, so what have you guys been like running into during quarantine? So, um, so I live by myself and he lives by himself. He lives like five minutes away from me, which is really nice and convenient. But um he had a friend that had to move back from Prague because of obviously everything that's going on. And I have a key to his place and I spend a lot of time there and it's kind of, you know, like a shared space. I'm supposed to be moving in this month, but he didn't discuss with me that he was just going to let his friend crash with him. And that first of all caused a lot of issues just because I'm really big on communication and I like to be clued in on things. And I'm a big planner. And when the plans don't go the way that I expected them to, it causes a lot of anxiety for me. So I at least like communication that something's going to be shifting. And um, his friend stayed with him for about three or four weeks. And it just caused a lot of issues because he was working from home. His friend was working from home. And I was feeling kind of left out because this guy was, you know, almost taking my space of if 
I'm working from home, Carl's working from home, then we would be working from home together. But there wasn't enough space for a third person. And the room that he was staying in was where I'd be like doing my client calls. And I was just feeling kind of bummed. And he took my key back. So I felt completely demoted. And there were a couple instances where, you know, I had to wait in the garage for him to come get me. And he like didn't answer the phone for 15 minutes. And I would just get like really pissed. And I'm like, it's just inconsiderate. Like you take my, my key away. I'm now fucking waiting for you. Like we don't have any one-on-one time together. And I just, I was, we had like five arguments about it and he wanted to be a really good friend, which I totally, totally understand. And I'm totally compassionate and empathetic to that. However, it was kind of like, is there a plan of when he's going to leave? Because I'm supposed to be moving in. And if that's going to change again, like I need to know. And we just kind of ran into some things of, you know, him not really setting time aside for us to have some like intimate, like one-on-one time. And I'm really big on that. And I made the effort to be like, Hey, come over, I'll make you dinner. And I felt like I was always the one kind of initiating us having one-on-one time. And anytime we'd be at his place, this other guy would be there. And it's like, we're used to having sex and being intimate and being naked around each other with nobody else being there. And so it just kind of put a damper on that. And I know for myself, when I don't feel comfortable, I get really irritable. So like the second I walked into his place, I just, my mood shift and I became, I became irritable and I hated, I hated how I was feeling because I wanted to be understanding to this guy's situation. But I also needed like a timeline. I'm again, like plans are big for me and I just need the communication of like, is there an end in sight? But the guy is now gone and I love his friend dearly. It was just like, it was just a lot, you know, like we're quarantined and then someone's added to the mix and then it just like plans and intimacy and everything was just kind of upturned. And so it caused a lot of like tiffs with us. Mm, how did you work through them besides the guy being gone? Um, I like overly communicated. <laughs> like, I mean, Carl's really good at knowing when something's wrong. I'm terrible at hiding it. Like you can see on my face, my body language, my tone of voice, like, something is pissing me off. And it's really hard for me to compartmentalize things. I'm not one that I'm like, we'll just like compartmentalize this and we'll talk about it in a couple of days. Like, I'm like, no, we need to talk about it now. So typically in past relationships, I was so scared of bringing up anything that pissed me off because I was so afraid of someone leaving me for being like too much or causing like issues. Um, But I'm so secure in Carl and I's relationship and we're so committed to each other that I know if I wouldn't bring it up, I would create so much resentment towards Carl that it would kill the relationship. And I'm like, if I love Carl, I have to bring up to him that I pissed at him and I'm frustrated. And and he was so like receptive to everything. Like I cried a bunch and I told him like, this is really annoying. This is really irritable. And he just, he just validated it. And he, you know, had conversations with this guy over and over of like a plan of where this was going. And so he just reassured me that, you know, nothing about me moving in was going to be changing and just held space for me, which no guy really has done before. I've always been kind of shamed for being overtly emotional. And it just felt good to not have someone be mad at me about being mad because that was always my fear. Yeah, you bring up such a profound point about how if you are really committed to the relationship, you will talk to them about it. Mm-hmm right? Like despite abandonment issues or like being afraid of rejection or 
why does he need to start vacuuming right now? Can somebody please tell me? <laughs> well, so, someone was um, uh, power cleaning their deck. <laughs> what? Is this actually happening? Oh I God. can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, and I was just about to say something like so wise. No, that like if you are committed to a relationship, that is when you communicate, right? But if you're not, that's when you start pulling back and that's where your fear and your insecurity kind of has more power over Mm -hmm. the relationship. Right. So like the fact that you were able to put that aside and be like, no, like I know I'm this way and I know I've had a past struggle with being sensitive and I know I've faced issues in relationships with that, but this relationship is different. And if we're both committed Mm -hmm. then I'm going to like overcome that and regardless of all those things, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was the first couple of times that I had to bring up things that bothered me when we first started dating. I was terrified because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid to bring up anything because I'm afraid he's going to leave me and be like, oh, this girl's too much. But over and over, he proved to me that like, I can always bring things up and it'll be okay. And I, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, dude, we're going to argue. We're going to have times where we're going to be annoyed as fuck with each other, but that doesn't mean anything's wrong with the relationship. And I think when it, when something becomes wrong, it's when you internalize everything and then you create a really negative narrative around your relationship. And so because I love him, I have to tell him I'm mad at him and it's been so helpful. I can really relate to that. Talk to me about that fear of being too much because that is in my head, like on replay Um, and I'm consistently trying to talk myself out of it. And the funny thing is I've been talking more about relationships on my platform and getting questions about it. To be honest, like I'm not through it. I feel like I only have earned the right to talk about something when I'm through it. But I think now there's just such a power in talking about something when you're in it. So people know Mm -hmm. that you're not alone, you know, and that we're all dealing with it in different ways. But do you have any suggestions and like how you deal with that, of that fear? Yeah too much. Yeah. I, um, I mean, the thing is, is it's not like all of a sudden I I don't feel that. Um, it's definitely a voice that I still hear in my head. I've had so many boyfriends tell me I'm too sensitive, too emotional, too fucking anxious. Like just calm down, just chill out. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. Like that's not how I'm wired. Like not Mm -hmm. saying that it's an excuse. Um, however, I have anxiety and I am really emotional and I am really sensitive and I'm an empath. So I feel like the weight of the world sometimes. And so I, I can feel really emotional. Um, and luckily Carl said, that's like one of his favorite things about me. He was like, I love that you love crying. I do. I love crying. <laughs> and, um, I've like totally embraced it. But one thing, you know, working with my therapist and going through my eating disorder recovery is she's like, you're, you're, you being emotional is not a fault. If anything, like it's a superpower and you being able to feel other people's feelings and to be able to embrace their own and not numb them and not, you know, stuff them down is, is actually an amazing ability that some people don't have. And so I've tried to shift that mindset of like, I'm so blessed to be able to feel the way I feel. And if someone thinks it's too much, then they're not my person. And it just goes to show you, like, Carl's like, I love how emotional you are. Sometimes he's like, oh my gosh, like, why are you crying again? (laughs) However, I have to, I have to take the road that I didn't take before. Before I would shut myself up, I'd stop myself from crying or I'd go into a room and cry by myself. And now 
I'm kind of like, no, I'm going to like sit in it. I'm going to actually sit in the discomfort and I'm going to be emotional in front of Carl. And if he doesn't like it, then too fucking bad because this is just who I am. And if he can't, if he can't embrace that, then that's just a sign that that's not my person. So I have to consistently tell myself it's okay to be emotional. There is not too much. It's just that maybe somebody else was like too little for me. (laughs) You know, like I've, I've dated a lot of guys that just weren't emotional and it just wasn't a fit. And, um, Carl is, I mean, he's a very calm, steady person, which is so great for my like emotional state, but he's also very intuitive with feeling. So I think just embracing the fact that you are emotional and that's such a beautiful thing. You know, it's, um, there are people that just don't feel and they're sociopaths. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm writing that shit down. It's not that I'm too much. It's that I'm, that somebody else was too little for me. Yeah. yeah, And like, not to hate on the other person, but it's just like, that person's just not for you. Yeah, that is some mad truth. And you know what, everything you're saying right now is so real. For me, not in general in my relationship, but particularly today. Um, because I've been, I have a confession, I've been like on TikTok every spare moment. Oh, girl. Mm-hmm. I can't make videos though. They're so hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had a block about it at first and I'm still working through that, but (laughs) I mean, these kids are talented, right? Dude. Yeah. Gen Zers, man. (laughs) They're so good. They're so good. But you know, we watch TikTok videos all the time. You know how TikTok takes you on this emotional roller coaster where you're one minute crying and then the next minute you're screaming angry and the next minute you're screaming happy, laughing whatever. So I, we were just going through that, like literally right as we, before we got on this and there was this video, you know, when they filmed those old people reuniting, especially. Oh my God. Oh, Oh, I know. So emotional. Falling my eyes out because of course in this video, the, the husband, they've been married for literally 50 years and the wife is in a nursing home and the husband comes up to her window and sings, you are my sunshine. Oh my gosh. I have chills, dude. I would be a mess. I'm literally going to start crying again. Oh, yeah. So, so he's like, you are my son. Yeah. And so I start bawling, bawling. And for me, and he goes, he's like, babe, I love how sensitive you are. And just like, oh, Carly, there are times when he's like, come on, babe, you don't have to cry every episode. <laughs> yeah. Shark tank. Like, yeah. it's just shark tank. <laughs> yeah. Because I will literally, I cry all the time, but what's funny, what I realized, and I've only noticed this after working with my therapist is that I wasn't so emotionally open until I met him. Mm, I love that. Like brought out that side of me. And so instead of like pushing it down, just like you, I've started to embrace it because Mm -hmm. when I push it down, it actually like the opposite happens, right? Because what you resist will persist. So when I mm-hmm. push down my emotions, I get angry. I get resentful. Like Same. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm not myself. Whereas if I just like cry about a smoothie, then I can like move on <laughs> with my life like so much faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, like I'm super irritable and like really bitchy. And it's like, I'm not the person that I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the emotional roller coaster comes out when we actually don't process our emotions. Mm-hmm. That's when oh, it's, yeah. we're going up, 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 up. And it builds up until you go down the roller coaster. You know what I mean? Whereas if you could just like have these little mini process sessions, like whatever that mm-hmm. looks like for me, it's crying. For some people, it's like stepping back and 
doing something else or going on a walk or I don't know, exercising, like yeah. whatever that looks like. That is just, I wish somebody told me that feeling your feelings is a way to process your feelings because for some reason we think of feeling our feelings and processing our feelings as two different things when in reality mm -hmm. they're the same fucking thing. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, being in my eating disorder for so long, I tried so hard to not feel the unpleasant feelings that it neutralized the pleasant ones. And I was just like kind of flat. And and when I did feel like the unpleasant feelings, I would really sit in them for a long time. So once I finally like let go of my eating disorder and started to kind of just embrace like being human and embracing like the range of emotions we have, I don't find myself sitting in like unpleasant emotions like anger or um, like frustration or sadness as long. And then I like when I'm feeling joyful and feeling like love and everything like that, it just feels so much better. Like it just like is a little bit more free flowing and not so like erratic or like flat. Mm, I, yeah, 100%. It's just, it's free flowing. I love that word so much. Can you talk to me more about what relationships were like for you in the past, especially in the midst of eating disorder and then eating disorder recovery? Your eyes are getting so big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not good. Um, so I actually had a, I had two serious boyfriends because I had an eating disorder for about 10 years. So my first boyfriend was, you know, the typical kind of like crazy, incredibly emotional relationship and it dragged out for way too long. Um, first love type of thing. Um, and then I was in a relationship for about four years with a guy that sweet guy, just like not my person and was the one that kind of made me feel like my emotions were bad. And he knew that something was wrong in terms of body image and my eating. I was constantly dieting and, um, weighing myself. And I just kind of put all of my validation in every single relationship I was in. I was hoping that someone would save me. Someone would love me a lot enough that I would finally love myself. And so I put way too much self-worth into another person. And if that person couldn't fill me up, then I just felt empty. And I felt like our relationship just like was terrible. But of course, like putting that weight and expectation on someone else is, is a lie. And once I got out of that relationship, I, it turned into me sleeping around, sleeping with people that were not good for me simply just to kind of like fill that void and having one night stands and it, just spending time with people that I knew like weren't my people and just like searching for some type of attention. And deep down, I knew that it didn't make me feel good, but I feel like I almost had to like go through that to realize that, that like these one night stands and like random hookups just didn't fill me up. And then finally went through therapy. Thank God. Um, and kind of processed all that and was able to kind of be able to fill my own cup and fill myself up with self-worth. So I wasn't searching for that with other people. Um, and that was definitely something I still struggled with um, until I met Carl. Um, but I'm definitely in the healthiest spot that I have been. Um, but I still found myself in some toxic relationships trying to convince people to be with me um, that were giving me signs that they didn't want to be with me. I'm definitely, if you haven't read the book Attached, I highly recommend it, but I'm definitely anxiously attached. Um, mm -hmm. So I tended to be like a little codependent on people. Um, but it's something that with Carl, I'm now able to process and be like, oop, that's my anxious attachment. Oop, that's me being codependent. Like I need to pump the, br pump the brakes. And like Carl, 
Carl will sometimes be like, babe, like that's your shit, not mine. Like if I'm trying to like project something onto him or like, um, like lately he's been like, babe, you're being really triggered right now. And he's just like anything I do. And at this point, it's like a little bit of a, a joke and it doesn't feel so much as like a jab because I'm, I'm so aware of my shit. So when he's like, babe, like you're projecting right now, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, you're right. Never mind. This is, this is my shit, not yours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I literally, I feel like you're my soul sister or like you're living my life. That's, yes, I know. Can we hang out? <laughs> seriously, we are hanging out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After this, we're getting drunk. Um, yes. I was in a relationship, same thing. First love, crazy, like crazy, crazy. And it lasted for far too long. And it was yeah. so emotionally abusive and everything. And then the second one, same thing. He was so nice, just wasn't my person. And I had to break up with him because he was just like, yeah, it's like too boring. And same thing. He knew about like the stuff coming up for me, but at the same time, he kind of like, I don't know, fueled that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah. And then since, since then, like during, especially during my bikini competition days, like I feel like, I mean, an eating disorder is a type of addiction. And I feel like another direction my addiction went is was sex. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I slept around random hookups, all this stuff, trying to fill, fill my self-worth void with that kind of validation from other people. And it honestly, like it didn't go away until like my second heartbreak, I would say. Mm. myself after my second heartbreak after being in a relationship for two years the guy moved to Canada for and all this stuff I found myself alone and swiping and going back to that in a totally different place with totally different people with like a totally different me but yet living that same story mm-hmm. yeah hit me on the face because then I can no longer blame it on my eating disorder I can no longer blame yes. it yeah, I couldn't blame it on the people in Scottsdale because I was like my excuse. The people in Scottsdale, like all I want is sex, right? <laughs> and yes, oh my god, that was me in LA. Yep. So, and then I found myself in that same place in Canada, like good old Calgary, just like trying to use the same coping mechanisms that I knew with this new heartbreak yeah. situation. That and that's when like binge eating started back up again and all this stuff. So, I didn't get a chance to work through that until I was like mad heartbreak, mad single, living with my parents, going to school, trying to figure out my shit. And obviously I'm still working through it. Like we all are. And I'm going to therapy. Yeah. He resonates with me so much and attached. I just ordered that. My therapist Girl, read it. It's so, so good. Like, oh my gosh, mind was absolutely blown. But I just had this realization that that's what fucking happened to me too. Like, I didn't have my eating disorder anymore. And I found myself swiping and being like, wait, I don't have my eating disorder. Why am I still having this issue? And then I had to like process and work through my relationship shit with my therapist. I thought that like once the eating disorder was gone, I'd be like, everything's great. Everything's healed. Yeah. And I was like, no, now I just have the space to work through my other shit because it's, it's lots of layers. Yeah. But yeah, wow. I just had that realization. Damn. I'm so glad I had so many realizations while you were talking. And sometimes I don't realize things until I say them. Yeah, no, mind blown. But that's the thing with eating disorders and then recovery is you don't recover from all your shit, right? Like you're recovering from your toxic relationship with food and hopefully 
a lot of your body image struggles, but sometimes recovery brings up the body image struggle. Mm-hmm. The first layer is like, it's all about the food. I just need to control my food. And then the second layer is like, it's all about my body. Like, I just need to accept my body, which is great. But then that third, like really deep, like fucking quicksand mud that you have to like walk through is, Hey, it's actually all of these other things that have built up through my childhood, my relationship and through me living my life. And they keep on building up and add adulting on top of that, which is really hard, especially because we've gone through this in developmental years. And then it, it, that's like the third part that you have to work. Yeah. Recovery isn't going to solve all my problems. In fact, it might bring them to the surface that mm-hmm. my disorder wasn't just about food or my body. Yeah, like- I know. That was the one thing in therapy. I was like, holy shit. And, and I knew this. It was like eating disorders. They're, they're just, they're so interesting to me. And that's why I love working with them. But once like I healed my relationship with food, once I started to heal my relationship with my body, it was kind of like, oh, I can see now why I had to control my food and why I tried to control the way my body looked because there were so many other factors that ha- like of things that happened in my life that brought on my eating disorder. And it like had nothing to do with the food and everything to do with my relationships and like sexual trauma and just like all of this other shit that I didn't want to deal with. And so I was like, I'll just mask it with eating disorder. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, I didn't even realize this until I was talking to my therapist because I kept on blaming the roots of my eating disorder. That one time my grandma called me fat and Mm. I realized that my grandma used to call me fat too. God, do you have a Polish grandma? Yeah. Okay. So it was like my Russian grandma, right? Um, but it's funny because these grandmas, like they call you fat and then they make you like the blinchiki and the pirosh- the pirogi and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, like eat, 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 eat. And I'm like, but wait, you just like, guilt you you I look like I gained weight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they guilt you if you don't eat, like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I always like told myself and told therapists I've worked with that, Hey, this is when my eating disorder started. Here's the backstory. I know everything, blah, blah, blah. But it literally wasn't until three weeks ago that I realized that one time my grandma called me fat was actually that one time so-and-so molested me. And so it was just like such a realization because I knew those two things happened. I just didn't realize how closely intertwined they were. Mm, Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's like, it's so much, it is so much. Oh yeah. It's things that, that pile up. Another book is like the body keeps the score, which is so wonderful about how like trauma manifests in our body. And sometimes you forget the trauma that we've had. And then like, it comes out in other ways. And like me having like multiple like scenarios of having sexual assault that like, I was just like, Oh, it was not a big deal. Oh, no, it was me being drunk. And then like finally admitting to my therapist, like, no, this was like, sexual trauma. This was like sexual assault. Like I was raped. It was just like, Oh, like a weight had been lifted that I find. It was like, Oh, this makes so much sense. And like, I'm sure that was probably a little bit like with being molested, like so much when you can say it, that's mm-hmm. like so healing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because it doesn't have that power over you. It's no longer mm-hmm. like that thing that you're supposed to hide or that was your fault or whatever. It's like, no, this goes back, you know, so many layers deep. And it wasn't, yeah. yeah, and, and yeah, like, and I'm not a bad person for dealing with things the way I dealt with them because I was a yeah. I didn't know any better. Oh, it's right? so sad. Or even yeah. as now, like we do, I think we're all 
doing our best. All of us are always doing our best. And if we knew a better best, we would be doing that. And it's the same thing. Well, like Exactly. Yeah. Giving yourself that kind of compassion and people around you too, like knowing that everybody really is doing their best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if, well, yeah. And if, if we knew how to be better or feel better, we'd be doing it. You know, yeah. but a lot of us aren't taught that stuff. And we're now like learning like, oh, I need to be self-compassionate. I need to speak to myself kindly. I need to give myself grace and compassion. Like we're all now learning it. And it's like making so much sense. Like, oh, everybody's like kind of fucked up and hurting around <laughs> around me. And we're all just trying to figure our shit out. Yeah, we're all just like giant five-year-olds, like trying not to mm-hmm. let our five-year-old trauma into our adult life and consistently failing and then <laughs> re for sure. Um, what made the biggest difference for you in recovery? And the reason why I ask is as we were talking, I was thinking about how people always ask me like, how long is recovery going to take? And that's where like, it's so sticky because I'm like, well, your relationship with food will probably take like, I don't know, a year or two, whatever, three, everybody has their own yeah. and how they're working through it. But as we were talking about, like once you heal that, <laughs> And then you start going into the body image work and then you start going into like, oh, there, here's all this other fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. That's, to me, that's lifelong. Yeah. Like, that's lifelong. So that's why when people ask me about recovery, I'm like, you know, there's kind of two different groups. There's some people that are like, your eating disorder is always going to be a part of you. And then there's other groups that's like, your eating disorder, you'll be able to move past that and never think about it again. <laughs> right. There's like mm-hmm. two groups. I don't know where I fall, to be honest with you, but like, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So I would say that I'm fully recovered, but I think that gets lost of people thinking that I never think about food. I never think about my body and I never worry or think about like fitness or like what people think of me. And that's just not true. I believe that full recovery for myself. And I think it's really different for every single person. And like the, the, um, the recovery process, like the bell curve for recovery for eating disorders is like seven to 10 years. So it can take a really, really, really long time to get to a space where you're like, "Mm, I'm fully recovered. Um, and I'm, I'm at like year six. So I definitely feel like I'm really moving into not as much focusing on like the food and body stuff. Um, and again, like kind of focusing on the relationship type of stuff. But for me, full recovery means I may still have eating disorder thoughts. I may still have bad body days because, hi, I'm human. And sometimes I may have to kind of work through some of the thoughts that come up when I'm thinking about wanting to work out and the intention behind it. It's what I do with the thoughts that shows that I'm fully recovered. I no longer engage in eating disorder behaviors. I don't binge and purge. I don't restrict. I, um, I don't feel guilty and shameful about things that I eat and I'm able to process them in a healthy way. Um, I no longer sit in my bad body days to, you know, for days and weeks and like sit in front of the mirror and like body to check away myself. Yes, I have bad body days because I'm human, but I'm able to process them and like use self care or compassion for myself to work through them. And then in terms of fitness, I no longer work out because of an aesthetic reason. I work out because it feels good. And sometimes I have to catch myself like, ooh, I'm working out for the fifth day in a row. Why am I doing it? Is it like a should? Or is it I want to? And then if I feel like I should, then I sit my ass back down and I do something else. So I think it's like what you do with the eating disorder thoughts and behaviors 
and not engaging in them that shows like the recovery. Um, but that's kind of just like my stance on it. And everybody's really different. You just gave us some solid gold. Like if everybody can write down each of those statements and be like, do I still do these things or mm-hmm. not? Kind of see like where you're, where yeah. you're, you know, those little like mental self-talk check-ins. That's amazing. That's an amazing product, girl. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I, I think everybody is able to, to get to that point. I fully believe it, but man, it's fucking, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. And I think like, it's just this combination of mindset and habits and therapy and self-talk. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. a lot of things, but the cool thing is, is that it's not like you have to do everything all at once. Like you have time, right? Yes. And outside mm-hmm. of the one hour a week therapy that you do or listening to a podcast like a couple times a week, like all the other stuff, kind it kind of comes naturally because outside of that, you're also living your life, right? And the yeah. more you put in just the slightest bit of effort, I mean, that adds up over the days and weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just, I mean, it's kind of like neuroplasticity. Like we create new neuropathways for ourselves and we just have to actually implement the practices that we learn. I always like use this analogy with my clients of like, say someone comes in the gym and is like, Hey, I want my arms to get really strong. And this trainer is like, yeah, totally. Here are these workouts, do them for a month and come back. And the guy goes home, doesn't do the workouts. He comes back and he's like, yeah, so my arms didn't get stronger. And the trainer's like, well, did you do the workouts? And he's like, no. And that's how it is with your brain. Like, If you don't implement the practices that you know will make you feel better, it's not going to fucking change. And that's kind of just a hard truth you have to take. It's like, do I either want to sit in the discomfort of feeling shitty about myself or sit in the discomfort knowing that it could lead me to a place of feeling better? And it's like, well, obviously the latter. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. I love those kinds of analogies too, because they take like, what we feel and what we know about like working out, right? And we kind of yeah. like, see it in a different light, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I hosted an online retreat a couple weeks ago. And at these online retreats, I let people ask me questions at the end. And one girl asked me a question that was like, hey, like I'm doing really good on my body image journey when I'm like feeling good, like when I my makeup's done and when I'm having a good body image day and I feel so confident and empowered and I feel like I got this whole self-love thing and everything. And then she goes, but then like, if one day I wake up bloated, then I just feel like I didn't make any progress at all, that I hate myself all over again. And it's just so hard on those days. So her question was, how do you feel better on the days you're bloated? And I'm like, you do realize it has nothing to do with being bloated. Those are the days where you build real confidence. Mm-hmm. Those are yeah. doing the work. When you're feeling yourself and you like how you're not doing the work. You're not doing the work. Like it's so easy for somebody to stumble in and be like, Oh, my, my hair and makeup's done. Like I love how I look, but it's like, okay, how do you feel about yourself outside of the mirror and pictures and other people's opinions? Mm-hmm. And I think with me being on social media, I fall into that trap so much because sometimes I feel on top of the world, but then I'm like, what is the source of this? Am I on top of the world because of me, who I am, Mary, mm-hmm. I do, or am I on top of the world because I got a lot, a lot of likes on Instagram, or because oh, I love that looks that day, right? And yeah. it's sticky because, like, as much as we shouldn't attach to the negative body image days or the negative thoughts, we also can't attach too much to the positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that, and it made me think of 
I recently went off birth control and I've always had really amazing skin and I've always gotten compliments on it. And I always got compliments on my hair. So I had a really big attachment to having like beautiful skin and beautiful hair. And it was like, I knew that my body was like shit, but everything else is okay. This is like what I told myself when I was younger, but I went off birth control and like hormonally my skin was fucking freaking out and so many like bad body thoughts. And like, now it was like attached to my skin. And I was like, holy crap, like, am I not really recovered because I'm, I'm having like these shitty thoughts about like my skin and my face. And Carl said the best thing to me because I finally opened up to him because he, I felt like he almost put me on a pedestal of like, you're so confident. You're so amazing. I'm so glad that like, you're this like confident woman. Like, I love this. But I was like, oh fuck, I can't tell him when I'm having like a bad body day. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want him to think I'm insecure. And finally I was like, fuck it. Like I'm human if we're together for the rest of our lives. He's going to have to see that part of me that's still insecure sometimes. And I cried to him about not liking my skin in the moment. And Carl's bald, his head is shaved. And he was like, babe, you are not in your skin. Just like I'm not my hair. And I was like, bam. I was like, so true. And I just needed like a little slap in the face to be like, it's okay to be insecure about certain things on your body. It doesn't necessarily mean like you, you hate yourself still. But it was like, oh, I've attached so much of, of my like beauty to like my skin and hair. And I like then had to process all of that again. I felt like I was kind of back at square one. Sometimes that just happens with having an eating disorder or body image issues. Sometimes you feel like you've taken 15 steps back. Yeah. And it's particularly <laughs> difficult for women. And I hate like doing the men versus women thing, but we have to acknowledge how mm-hmm. pressure women get. And I'm reading a book called um, Beauty Sick by oh okay oh my god you've got to read it i need to read it i read half of it in one sitting like it's oh my god and it talks about how like okay yeah it's great that we're talking about body positivity i'm feeling better about our bodies and that we're acknowledging that eating disorders exist like we're doing a great job as a society that way but we're skipping that part where the premise and the root of all of this is because little girls grow up to believe that their looks matter and if they look, mm. way, they will be valuable in this world. And it's not that they just believe it, but there's so many stats, statistics, facts to prove that if you look a certain way, you will get more job offers. You will get a higher pay. You mm. will get more attention. You will get more acknowledgement. You will get more recognition. Yeah. Like all these things are tied to that premise of your looks matter and unlearning Damn. That I mean, talking about it gives me chills because I'm still in such a deep pit of that. Mm -hmm. Of I hesitate to call it recovery because I feel like it's the work that all women need to go through. But that learning and relearning my womanhood and what it means to me and what it means to society. Damn. Okay, I need to read this book because I this made me think of this idea of body neutrality. And I work with a lot of my clients on that because this idea of body positivity almost seems too far-fetched and not feasible and realistic for a lot of my clients because they hate their bodies so much. And also, I love the body positive movement. I I think it's absolutely amazing. However, it's still hyper-focused on our bodies. Mm-hmm. And we got to a place of hating our bodies because we focused so much on them. And that's where the issues arise. And I feel like body positivity sometimes also gets lost in that. It's just such a hyper focus on our bodies. And that's why I love this idea of body neutrality, which it seems like that's kind of what beauty set kind of 
embodies is this like, we are so much more than our bodies and we need to remove this like attachment to this beauty ideal and, and the body itself and like dig deeper and start to like really love who we are as people versus like how we show up visually for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm gonna have to get this damn book. Yeah. And this book, it's all about like all these, the feminist perspectives of like, okay, why do you always feel like you need to look presentable? Why do you always mm. feel like you're being looked at? Why is it that you can be in a healthy, loving relationship and be so in love with your person, but then when you go out, you feel the need to get done up to make sure that so-and-so is looking at you and thinks you're attractive. That's oh what fucked me up because I'm like, I'm not planning to cheat on my boyfriend. I would never no, but- think about that. But like when I go out, like there's still a voice in my head that says that yeah. your looks are important and what that guy thinks of you is important. Okay, damn. I, I'm going to like order this book off Amazon when we get off this call. I already got attached and the body keeps the score and I got like a lot of reading material. I'm also going to include all of these books in the show notes. I've written them all down. So I, I love it. So helpful. And I love that the books you're saying are books that are already either I have or they're yes. in my <laughs> I know. And I, yeah, I need to fucking get beauty sick. Oh, hell yeah. I'm so pumped about this conversation. It's so good. Yeah. And the, oh, one more I'm going to throw at you, The Beauty Myth. I think it's an important read, but it's a lot denser and people reference it all the time by Naomi Wolf, but it's a lot of research, a lot of statistics. It's the same concept of beauty sick. But what I like about beauty sick is that she pulls real stories from women of all walks of life. And so it feels like a lot more digestible I think her writing style is a little bit more relatable. She also has an incredible TED Talk. Her name is Renee Englund or something. But um, yeah, her stuff, it, it's so relatable because the stories are like women from all different walks of life. And I just want to highlight that this isn't women who are like dealing with an eating disorder and they're at the depths of this stereotypical it's eating like every woman. Yeah, nor is it like, I hate to use this term, but the stereotypical feminist, feminazi that like mm-hmm. term that we get, it's not like that at all. It's like literally mm. girls and women that are just like us, that are like doing our lives and probably accomplishing so many great things, but still have this weight of beauty sickness. Oh, damn. Okay. I'm excited. Quarantine read. Yay! <laughs> I love it. So I think this is a natural transition into tell us about the work that you do and how you serve people and where we can find you and all that good juju. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I like that little plug. (laughs) So I am an eating disorder recovery coach and I work with my clients one-on-one all virtually. Um, And it's through an awesome platform that's HIPAA compliant. So super cool that all of your information is safe. Um, but I work with a range of clients that have binge eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, body dysmorphia, orthorexia, all that good stuff. Um, I am taking clients right now. I'm also doing reduced rates for just like one-on-one calls. If you're just needing a little bit of extra support during this time, if maybe you've been through recovery and you're finding some of these old behaviors are coming up during quarantine. Um, so I am offering some one-on-one calls, but you can find all of this information at fitfatandallthat.com under recovery coaching. I also, speaking of Good Juju, I have a membership. Um, it's called the Good Juju Gang, and it's $11 a month. And uh, you get added to my close friends on Instagram for music and tutorials and body image work and self-care and like just like a fun place to hang out with some other girls and get some fun content like recipes and shit too. 
Um, and yeah, my Instagram is fit and all that. So slide in my DMs and say hi. Oh, that is so cool. I love that. I didn't know about your membership. I'm joining. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I'll just add you. <laughs> That is so cool. I love it. And I love that you're doing reduced rates, especially during this time. Um, one quick thing that I wanted to ask you just because I've always gotten this question, what's the difference? Like what, how is your work different from therapy work and where's Mm -hmm. more gifts and where you serve people? Yeah. So I actually work as collaborative care with therapists and dietitians. So we're like a support team for people. Um, so being a coach, it's a lot of present and future work. So we don't dive into the past traumas. We don't dive into like a lot of childhood type of stuff. Um, I do very much like everyday type of work um, and how to kind of move forward through your recovery and not kind of diving in and figuring out where it came from. Um, so it's a lot more like accountability. Um, I might be a little bit more tougher. It's not me just sitting down and like saying, how do you feel about this? It's like really figuring out like, okay, this is the way your brain's thinking. Let's reframe that thought. I do like a ton of work and like reframing negative self-talk, hunger and fullness cues um, with my clients so they can figure out how to intuitively eat. So um, I would just say like a lot more like present and future work. I love that. That is the work that helped me. I found my approach was a little bit backwards. I did a lot of self-healing in combination with coaching. And now I'm going back and doing the therapy stuff, which we talked about in this episode of like Mm -hmm. third layer of shit. Um, but that like present and future focus was so helpful for me because I didn't want my eating disorder to define me. And I didn't yeah. want to like have a session feeling worse than I, when I walked in, you know, I'm not saying that that's what therapy does at all, but I think, um, for some people who are kind of in that middle ground between like, Hey, I know I struggle with an eating disorder, or disordered eating or somewhere in the middle, but like, you know, I'm not getting hospitalized right now. Like that mm-hmm. was so it just gave me a lot of permission to like heal in my own way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And therapy is absolutely amazing and powerful. Sometimes it just might be not be the right time for it. And honestly, if it's not an eating disorder therapist, you just have so much other shit to talk about that. It's nice to have someone that just focuses on body image, food and fitness. And like, that's what you hone on in with me. So. Amen. I love that. Thank you for doing the work that you do. And thanks for your time today. Um, you are at fit, fat and all that on Instagram. Fit, fat. Yes. You told me the story about that, but what, what is it again? Um, my aunt and I just like, I was thinking of a fun Instagram name and I just, she came up with it and we were like throwing some words around and I was like, holy shit, I really like that. But I was so resistant to the word fat. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to add the word fat because I don't like the word fat. And then I'm going to start to like the word fat, which I do now. Powerful. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Well, everybody go find Juju on the Instagram and let us know how you like this episode by screenshotting you listening or screenshotting your screen. I guess screenshotting is <laughs> your screen. Let me just over explain that to you. Um, <laughs> but tag us on Instagram so we know what you liked and that you're listening. And I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye.